Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. James Arkin, you're from Ohio too? I'm a Columbus, Ohio native. A Columbus, Ohio native. I'm from Cincinnati, so things are about to get real Midwestern here, aren't they? Oh, yes, absolutely. Lots of oops and, and, and lots of Midwestern talk. <laughs> Let me ask you a serious question. Do you like chili on your spaghetti? Not particularly. We leave that to, to those in Cincinnati like yourself. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to have a debate about that on a future episode. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... Columbus is much better than Cincinnati, the, 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 best, the best of the three C's. <laughs> James Arkin, who holds some questionable views about Chile and Ohio City. I think the debate about that would take much longer than, than one audio briefing. On the upcoming race to replace Ohio Senator Rob Portman and how it could be a bellwether of campaigns in the post-Trump era. The biggest result of the evening so far, the AP is now calling the state of Ohio for Barack Obama. He has managed to turn that into a blue state this year. Ohio has gone for Barack Obama. He got Pennsylvania. It's uh, It's been a real transition for Ohio, which for a long time was sort of considered a microcosm for the country. 20 electoral votes in Ohio are now going for Barack Obama. And again, it does appear that those avenues to 270 are continuing to narrow for John McCain. The electoral lead Ohio consistently voted with the winner in presidential elections and uh, was a very competitive state statewide. And that just over the past decade has really ceased to be the case. Uh, President Obama carried the state twice and uh, President Trump then carried the state twice. We have a major projection right now. Big win for Donald Trump in the state of Ohio. Right now, he is ahead of Hillary Clinton. We are projecting that Donald Trump will take Ohio, will retain Ohio. 53.2% for Donald Trump, 45.3% for Joe Biden. And over the last decade, statewide, Republicans have had a ton of success. They, they swept statewide races in 2010 and again in 2014, which were really challenging years for Democrats nationally. But then they swept statewide races again in 2018, which was a really good year for Democrats nationally. Good evening, everyone. Just into the NBC4 newsroom. NBC4 News is projecting Republican Mike DeWine to be Ohio's next governor. And so Ohio has just really seen a shift over the last decade or so from one of the most competitive states in the country to one that, you know, Democrats say they, they still can win the state. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a deep red state that Democrats can't compete in. Uh, but it's certainly a lot more challenging, and they've had a lot less success in, in recent history. So, James, now there's an opening for that to change. Some interesting and potentially significant news coming into us now from Capitol Hill. Republican Senator Rob Portman of Ohio is now saying he will not run for re-election. Rob Portman, a Republican senator from Ohio who's been in office for a decade, says he's not running for re-election. What does that mean? It gives Democrats an opening in the race. Uh, I mean, Portman won handily in 2010, uh, as I said, a really good year for Republicans nationally. And then he ran the best re-election campaign in the country in 2016. We did it. Thank you, Ohio. And thanks to everybody in this room. I've got a lot of great friends in this room who made He cruised to victory. Democrats were not even competing for the seat. Uh, by the end of the election, he ended up winning by an enormous margin against the former Democratic governor, Ted Strickland. 
And, and so Portman's decision to retire and not run for a third term essentially just cracks the door open for Democrats in a way that it almost certainly would not have opened if he were running for re-election. Republicans will have to have a primary to figure out who their nominee to replace Portman will be. Uh, there's not an obvious front runner. Uh, Republicans have a very deep bench in the state because of their success. So they have a lot of potential options, uh, a lot of directions they could go for who their nominee is going to be. But that means that it's going to be a little bit of a fight for, for who's going to be the Republican uh, to replace Portman. And of course, Republicans are going to be facing kind of this intraparty question of, of what direction they want to go in a post-Donald Trump era after his loss in November. And so all of that just means that Democrats go from a race that was probably going to be an afterthought as they try and protect their majority to one now where, where they have an opening, where they, where they have a shot to be competitive, even if it's still going to be you know, a tremendously difficult campaign. I know it's early, but are we seeing any potential candidates emerge on the Democratic side? We are, yeah. There's there's several candidates who are uh, taking a close look at it. Uh, I, I interviewed uh, Tim Ryan, the, the congressman from the Youngstown area of Ohio. Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan has dropped out of the presidential race. Ryan said he's proud of what his campaign accomplished. Uh, who said he's taking a very serious look at it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people expect that he will jump in. Um, but he, he ran for the Democratic nomination for president unsuccessfully in 2020. He challenged Speaker Nancy Pelosi unsuccessfully for the speakership after the 2016 election. And so it looks as if Tim Ryan is finally going to make that leap. Uh, but he's not the only Democrat who's who's looking at it. And today it looks like Dr. Amy Acton is considering a run for the job. The former Ohio health director stepped down from her role at the Columbus Foundation earlier today and now is considering re-entering the public spotlight. Amy Acton, the, uh, the former uh, leader of the Ohio Department of Health, recently stepped down from a nonprofit that she was working at and, and is taking a serious look at running for this race. Uh, Nan Whaley, the, the mayor of Dayton, is looking to run statewide. Uh, she said that she's either looking for the Senate race or the governor's race. Uh, so we'll see there. And then there's a, there's a lot of Democrats who are looking at this, um, although it is necessarily a, a smaller field of potential candidates than Republicans, just because the Democratic bench has been sort of ravaged by the party's lack of success over the last decade. What sort of politics do you think are going to be at play in this race? Because, I mean, you covered the Georgia Senate races for us at Politico. We're on the ground there for a couple of months. Are you seeing any similarities emerge here in, in Ohio? Like, could Democrats do something similar to, to try to turn the state blue? Or is it just like totally different politics at play? It's a little bit of both. They're going to have to do something similar, which is what Democrats did so successfully in Georgia with, in terms of registering new voters, really improving the infrastructure of, of uh, the Democratic Party on the ground in, in terms of outreach to voters and the ground game and all of that. Uh, but the thing is that, that Ohio is just a very different state than Georgia. Uh, I mean, Georgia has seen a, a huge influx of, of young people moving into the state. As I said, the black population is much higher. It's a, it's a more racially diverse state than Ohio. And so that really fueled kind of the movement of Georgia towards Democrats having success in the state, whereas the opposite is happening in Ohio, where the state is moving away from Democrats. You know, the, the metropolitan areas of Ohio, Columbus and, and Cleveland are much smaller than Atlanta. So they don't have an enormous population center the way that Democrats do in Georgia or Democrats do with the Phoenix area in Arizona, another state that's been emerging for them. And so that means that they have to run up the score in places like Columbus and Cleveland and, and the suburban areas that have shifted toward them. But they also just have to do a lot better in the rural and small town parts of the state outside of those population centers. And that's really challenging. That's where Donald Trump had so much success uh, in his two Ohio victories. And so that's that's where 
Democrats are going to have to see enormous improvement if they're going to be competitive in this 2022 race. Well, the state's swing to the right has corresponded with with President Trump, right? Like, do you think this race could end up sort of being a test of whether some of the Republican gains you might see in rural areas in a state like Ohio are totally connected to Trump and can survive with the Republican Party after 2020? Absolutely. Yes. This this race is, is definitely going to be one of the first and most critical tests for how Republicans run and win in a post-Donald Trump era. The shift corresponded directly with Trump winning the state in 2016 and winning the state again in 2020. So the question for Republicans is, I mean, some of the early uh, contenders who are looking at the state, including the uh, the chair of the Republican Party, Jane Timken, who stepped down from that role to look at it, Josh Mandel, the former treasurer, um, you know, these, these are some candidates who will likely run on similar platforms and as allies of President Trump. And so uh, this is going to be a real test for can you motivate those voters who are motivated by President Trump when he is not only on, not on the ballot, but not in office, not really in in the picture. Uh, and so that's that's the big test for Republicans in terms of whether they can continue to have the success that they've had. And that's because that's a question. That's another thing that gives Democrats an opening. You know, if Republicans aren't as successful at motivating those voters that they were successful under President Trump, then that's what gives Democrats a potential opening to be competitive in the state. If Republicans nominate someone who runs with those voters as successfully as Donald Trump did, then they're going to win the state and, and Democrats aren't going to be competitive. They, they almost need Republicans to lose some of the support among those voters if they're going to be able to have a shot. What can Democrats do to make that happen? Like, who are the voters that they need to target and how do they target those voters? It's really working class voters, um, not just working class white voters, but working class uh, black voters, brown voters. Um, when I spoke with Tim Ryan in my interview with him, he talked about just sort of a, a broad economic populist message uh, that will reach all of the, the working class voters in, in different constituencies across the state. And that's the same argument that Nan Whaley, who's looking at both the governor's race or the Senate race, was talking about. She said, this is an economic populist state and we need to focus on an economic message of sort of improving people's lives. And so Ryan, for example, talked about the COVID relief package that Democrats are trying to push through Congress right now uh, after Joe Biden has taken office and saying this is a good example for them to sort of demonstrate their ability to deliver for these voters. And, and Ryan was very specific on talking about it needs to be an economic message. They need to sort of get away from the hot button issues that have led the Democratic Party's national brand to be pretty down in the dumps in Ohio. You know, the, the National Party brand has been a problem for Ohio Democrats in the past. And, and the these potential candidates uh, and other strategists that I've talked to, it's, you know, focusing on that economic message can kind of push back against that and give them a chance to kind of meet these voters where they are. Um, it's it's how Sherrod Brown, who's the only Democrat who's had a ton of success in Ohio recently, winning re-election in 2012 and then winning re-election again in 2018, uh, he always talks about the dignity of work and and runs on a, on a very economic, populist-focused message. And other Democrats are going to try and repeat that and see if they can have success on, on what Sherrod Brown has run on, e even though they aren't Sherrod Brown and, and don't have the sort of personal appeal that he's had. James Argan, thanks so much for talking with me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Also today... South Africa is halting its plans to use the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine on first responders, following new evidence that the shot isn't effective at preventing mild or moderate illness from the more contagious variant that's emerged there. 
Just last week, the country received its first million doses of the vaccine and was set to start issuing shots for frontline health workers soon. But preliminary data from a small study only shows, quote, minimal protection against mild moderate disease caused by the variant, which represents more than 90 percent of the cases in the country. Researchers say effectiveness against severe illness and death isn't yet clear. The news marks a major setback for South Africa, but health officials there do plan to fast-track the use of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine in the coming weeks, which they say has shown more efficacy against the variant. And Congresswoman Liz Cheney is reiterating that she has no plans to resign, even after a sharp rebuke by Republicans in her home state of Wyoming over the weekend. On Saturday, the Wyoming Republican Party voted overwhelmingly to censure Cheney for voting to impeach former President Trump, with just eight of the 74 members of the Wyoming Central Committee opposing the move. They said in a letter that Cheney, quote, violated the trust of her voters, failed to faithfully represent a very large majority of motivated Wyoming voters, and neglected her duty to represent the party. In an interview with Fox News yesterday, Cheney said she is not going to step down following the vote, saying her most important duty is to the Constitution. And quote, the oath that I took to the Constitution compelled me to vote for impeachment. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to check out some of our other shows like Nerdcast, Politico Energy and the Playbook Audio Briefing. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.